0: Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Medical Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. And Dr. Phil Chan, welcome everyone. Dr. Chan, good to be with you today. So, today's episode is how did we get here? And uh, not necessarily just, you know, we in the royal we, but you and me. How did we get where we are today? And, you know, part of what prompted me to do this episode was uh, a couple things. One is it's amazing how many people contact me over the years saying, how do you get into medical school? How do you get into public health? And they really want to know my story. Like, how did I get there? So I think that's always kind of intriguing. The other thing that got me interested in this is I learned something new about you last week. You told me you were an emergency medical technician for a decade before you got to medical school. So to me, this is an interesting topic. I want to learn more about you. You'll learn about me. There's stories to be told today. Are you interested?
1: Absolutely, Dr. McDonald. And you know, I'm reminded of the ideal medical school application question, which is, Dr. McDonald, why do you want to go to medical school? And I remember, you know, 90% of applicants answer it. I want to help people. That's kind of like the classic answer. I believe I gave that answer when I was a applicant as well. And I think for those of us in public health, I really feel like, at least for me, that still maintains its truth today. Uh, And that to me is what I've loved about public health. You know, I'll often tell people I love being a doctor. I love being an individual level doctor, having a patient in front of me. But, uh, you know, the thing about public health, it's like being a doctor to the public. And I really enjoy that. It's allowed me to amplify those educational messages. You know, hopefully they made a little bit of a difference. But Dr. McDonald, let me start with you as well. Why did you want to go to medical school initially, too? What was your answer to that question way back when?
0: You know, I probably answered the same answer as you know, because I want to help people, because that was true. But I have to admit there was a bit of a selfish motivation. I actually was very interested in the subject matter. Like, I was fascinated by how the human body worked. I was fascinated that one, we got sick and two got better. But the other thing was, I didn't like being sick. Like, I just recognized I did not like being sick. And so I wanted to you know what I could do to prevent that from happening. And I wanted to be a more informed patient in many ways. And, you know, one of the things I just remember too was, I had a lot of interesting role models, people who really were. You know the people who I you know esteemed were doctors. Now I didn't. I actually didn't believe I could ever be a doctor. That was that's that's something we'll get into a little bit. Like it it was really one of those things where, growing up where I grew up, I grew up in a small town. You know, grew up in a pharmacy um, that, quite frankly, was in our family for 90 years and only recently changed hands uh, last year uh, during the pandemic. But you know, I grew up in a pharmacy, so for me, it's like that was the family business. But I interacted with a lot of healthcare professionals, interacted with a lot of physicians. But quite frankly. I didn't really think I was quite frankly good enough to be a doctor, to be quite honest with you, because that was what other people did, not what people in my family did, Um, which gave me a little bit of a perspective on life that was very interesting. And I had to overcome that maybe I could be that person. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But I'd like to go back to you a little bit was like, tell me a little bit about your journey into medical school, because getting into medical school is a journey. Like, you know, I, I did meet people, by the way, who said they were born to be a doctor, went to college in four years, they went to medical school and here they were. But I didn't meet a lot of those people. So I guess I'm curious with you is, can you tell me a little bit about your journey into into medical school? You know, I want to hear, you were an emergency medical technician. Tell me this story.
1: So yeah, very interestingly. So when I got to undergraduate, so I went to the University of Vermont, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something in science. I actually went into college majoring in engineering. I knew I wanted to do, I was curious about the way the world works and including uh, science and the human body. I started majoring in engineering, ended up changing my major three times until actually I majored in microbiology. Uh, And all that happened in like the first year. Uh, And so I'd always known for a while that I wanted to go to medical school. You know, I think as any good medical school applicant, you need some experience, right? In medicine. And one thing I didn't really want to do was I didn't really want to volunteer in a hospital. That just wasn't exciting to me. So I actually joined uh, the uh, the ambulance squad, the rescue squad of our school, and we had an ambulance squad uh, that was that primarily served uh, South Burlington in Burlington, Vermont. And so we served an entire small city, uh, which is probably the size of like Pawtucket. So it was not a small city. Responded to uh, you know interstate crashes, motor vehicle accidents. Very formative in my early development for sure. And uh, responded to people coding, having cardiac arrests. Some very memorable stories, very unfortunate, sad stories. Responded to a kid who had died once, that's something I will never forget uh, in all my days for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, it was an incredible experience. I got so much medical training. Uh, I was driving an ambulance, Doctor McDonald, when I was 18 years of age. Is that safe? I'll let the I'll let others judge that for me. But but there's also a tremendous amount of training that went through it because we were a student-run uh, rescue squad, and it's still in existence today, and it's it's run entirely by students. I know that Brown has one too. Uh, it was just a phenomenal experience. Did you have anything like that similar in terms of your uh, experience?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think my, my approach to, to medical school was a bit non-traditional. It, my first major in college was actually photography, which is kind of interesting. And it's I changed my major from photo illustration to biomedical photography. And, and you know, it's funny. I remember at one point just realizing I, I no longer really enjoyed this. And I remember it was actually funny. I was getting ready to go into a photography class in the afternoon. I was just in the bathroom, just looking at myself in the mirror. And I said to myself, I said, you know, if I ever have children, I'm going to ask them to do whatever they want in life, to chase their dreams and just do whatever they want. Because they said, I actually hate what I'm doing right now and I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life. And then I looked in the mirror and I said, you know, you're 19 years old. You can do anything. You know, I probably will fail and I probably won't get into medical school, but I'm going to try. And it was at that moment I said to myself, I'm going to go try to be a doctor. That was what I really wanted to do. And at that moment, I said, this is what I'm going to do. And it was, you know, and then I went to community college, get a semester's worth of transfer credit. Then I went to Siena College in Upstate, New York, and did well enough there. I actually got into medical school at Loyola University of Chicago, the Stritch School of Medicine. And, and that was my journey to medical school a little bit. But a lot of it was just, you know, quite frankly, You know, a little bit of just like really figuring out what I wanted. And and I don't think that's unusual. When I think about who I was in medical school with, well over half the class were people who just, quite frankly, had found their way a little bit non-traditionally. In other words, had done other things first. Many of the students had actually had other jobs and had other careers and then decided to go into medicine. And I really think that just was a positive role model for me. And, you know, medical school is grueling. It's not, you know, it's not for the weak of mind, but certainly not for the weak of spirit or the weak of courage, or those who just lack endurance. Because quite frankly, it's grueling. Um, you know, the analogy was it's like eating an elephant one bite at a time. I would say it's a little bit more like eating a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It really is quite a journey to get through medical school. At least it was for me. But that was really how I got into medical school, and I was I was very thankful to go to medical school. Where I did go to medical school, I met fascinating people. They were all very interesting. I learned a lot, but one of the things I really think back to when I think back to medical school where I learned is I learned around from attending physicians who cared about me as an individual who wanted me to understand not just why you practice medicine and how you practice medicine, but that there's someone else at the end of the stethoscope who matters a great deal. So I really felt like empathy and compassion were something that were taught to me from from the beginning a little bit. And, and so I think to me, it was really like, that was part of my journey though. It's funny though. I have to, I, I think back to this story with my parents though. It's like, I think like I had said, there was no one else in my family who was a physician. And it was in my second year of medical school, you know, where my, you know, my my dad and I were talking and he was like, well, well, how are you doing in medical school? You know, and I I said, well, I'm doing really well, thank you. He says, well, you think you're actually going to be a doctor? I said, yes, I'm going to be a doctor. You know, it's like, this was a surprise to him. And and it was one of those things where I I just don't think he had context for this, but it was also like, I think back to the day I got accepted to medical school. And, you know, I remember the day I got accepted to medical school because it was a very exciting day you know, it, it was November 2nd of, I want to say 1987, 86, maybe, I don't know, maybe I don't remember the year as well. It was 85 now, I think about it, 1985. But I remember being so happy. I went and, you know, drove to the town where my mom was and actually said to her, you know, hey, mom, I got accepted in medical school to Loyola in Chicago. And my mom's response was, oh, did you apply there? And, you know, obviously I did, because, you know, getting accepted in medical school, not just is you know, applying there, you have to go for an interview, and you have to meet people, and, you know, I mean, this was the first time I flew in an airplane when I went back to, you know, to go apply, to go interview at a medical school, so it was really a big deal for me to actually accept it, but it's just, my family had no context for this, and my family had no understanding of what it was like, you know, when I think about who helped me get into medical school, it was really my health professions advisor at Siena College, and my peers and my colleagues, those are the people who helped me Let's shift a little bit, though, if you don't mind. Let's talk a little bit about your journey to public health. Like, Dr. Chan, you're, you're, you're in public health now. I mean, you've been in public health for a little while. Tell me a little bit about your journey into public health, because you're not just a public health physician. You're an infectious disease expert. How did you really get interested in public health? Tell me more.
1: Yeah. So thank you for that question, Dr. McDonald. You know, as an infectious disease doc, I feel like so much of what uh, I do in my training has been in topics related to public health. Uh, And I've been really interested in HIV uh, in my career uh, early on. Many listeners are probably aware HIV is one of the world's most devastating uh, infections. Tens of millions of people infected, you know, tens of thousands of people infected yearly. And uh, I was just drawn to the fact of trying to uh, work through that and uh, address HIV, including all the disparities. And as I went through that training, I really saw how these, and we've talked about this before, some of the social determinants of health really intersect and make... Uh, HIV, all that more challenging in terms of treatment, and I sort of backed into public health uh, through that lens, as well as my research experience, and I've always been very curious in solving problems, and that's, you know, if you think about research at its core, it's understanding problems and trying to solve problems in an innovative uh, and novel way. And I've just always been drawn. And I think when I got the chance at the health department six or seven years ago now, uh, interestingly, when Dr. Alexander Scott uh, took the director position, I took her old position as a medical director of the, HIV, the Center for uh, HIV, STIs, viral hepatitis, and TB um, with, uh, with Tom Bertrand, good friend and colleague there in that center, uh, working on these initiatives statewide. And so, uh, that's been a fascinating experience, but I kind of backed into it uh, I do not have a I didn't get any traditional training in public health uh, but I feel like sort of my background and and certainly my topical expertise uh, have really contributed and allowed me to uh, to be able to address a lot of the issues that we see in public health uh, How about you dr. McDonald? you've had more sort of a, a traditional public health training if I remember.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. For me, you know, it's funny, as you get older, I think our dreams grow with us and change with us, right? So my dream was to become a doctor, I became a pediatrician in the Navy, no less. So the Navy paid for medical school. And so once I got done with my medical school, I went into the Navy, and I've been to all kinds of places, you know, and, and it's interesting, I had wonderful training in the Navy. But, you know, I I was stationed overseas in Okinawa, Japan, for example, for two years as a pediatrician at a Navy hospital in Okinawa, which was great, you know, and was wonderful. But After my time in the Navy, I went into private practice and, you know, I went into a small town in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, which is still, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania is still one of the most idyllic small towns anywhere in the United States. And it's just a wonderful little community. And it was very busy pediatrician and maybe too busy. I had this sense of like every day was a Monday because I was seeing a ton of patients every day, rounding in the hospital that morning, rounding the hospital at night, going in for emergencies in the middle of the night, responding to emergencies during the day. It was really quite a busy life, you know, and I, and I think, you know, to some degree, it was maybe too busy, but I also had this really growing sense that so much of what I was dealing with could be prevented. And really, I was drawn to public health because so much of what I was seeing was preventable. And, and you know, I had this inkling in the back of my mind that I wanted to practice medicine in a third world country. And, you know, I, for whatever reason, I had not been able to do it up until that point. But when I, when I decided to leave a very successful private practice in Pennsylvania, I decided to go work in the Indian Health Service. Uh, And I went to work in Chinle, Arizona, part of the Navajo Nation. And you know, what I really saw was I was working at a public health service hospital where public health is woven into the hospital and health literacy is woven everywhere. And it was then that I decided I would get my master's in public health. And after I was, as I was getting my master's in public health, what I really realized was, you know, I really wanna do public health full time. So maybe what'd be best to do is just make sure I have all the tools I need So then I decided to do something mid-career that a lot of people, quite frankly, don't do, which is I I basically took a preventive medicine residency. There's actually a residency in preventive medicine and public health. In other words, I, I stopped what I was doing as a pediatrician, stopped seeing patients, and then, you know, really got trained professionally in how to do public health. And, you know, this to me was really a very important thing for me to really make sure I had all the tools I needed to succeed. And kind of my thought was like, you know, mid-career people do a lot of things, but I wanted to make sure I was trained to go into public health professionally. So that was really how I got into public health. What's kind of ironic is what brought me to Rhode Island was actually the Department of Defense. I, you know, I I came to work for the Department of Defense as the Director of Health Services, did a lot of health policy and management. But what really brought me to the Department of Health in Rhode Island was running the state medical board, uh, which is, you know, something I still do to this day. However, it's really more the pandemic that takes up our time right, both our time, really, because it's the pandemic that really is the the public health thing at the moment. You know, what's interesting, though, is, and I, I really resonate with something you said, is, like, I really view myself as one of the state's doctors. Like, when I think about public health in general is, I have no hidden agenda. My agenda is simply this. I want to keep everybody healthy. I want to give everybody the same life chances. I want to make sure everybody has the same opportunities in life. But, you know, I really get that it's really important for everybody to have the same opportunities to stay healthy. And that's where the social determinants of health are so important, and one of the things we can do in public health is try to make those social determinants of health as advantageous for everybody, because if everybody has the same advantages, then we can all you know, optimize our personal health and well-being, um, and when you can do that for a population, that's a really big deal, and that is indeed a worthy journey, uh, something that I think is quite a challenge. But it really gets me thinking about this next topic, Dr. Chan, a little bit like you know if there's one thing we've learned about the pandemic is you know the pandemics brought out a lot of just quite frankly conversation points but a lot of attributes in our culture some good some less good and really one of the things you've seen too is how public health tries to put forward this objective message but yet you've seen the political special interest and other political thoughts come into the whole thing and you know one of the things we've really tried to do in rhode island is make sure we were having a public health response not a political health response But you know, it it really begs the question as we look at the pandemic in front of us: is what do you think the future of public health is? I'd be curious where you think the future of public health is going. You know, and I know it's kind of an essay question, but give me some thoughts on that, please. Yeah, thank you, Dr. McDonald. And just
1: to expand on one of your points, too. I mean, one thing I think when we all started this pandemic, we were very naive and also very uh, optimistic that we could, you know, we would shut everything down and we would, you know, do fine and you know, stem this transmission. But I think as we've realized, as time has gone on, and certainly I'll speak for myself, uh, I've become much more appreciative of the overall toll of the pandemic. And for me, I think on a learning curve, at least, and I'm sure for many of us, is that it's been that balance of uh, not just public health, not just the clinical aspects of COVID-19, but also the economic, certainly mental health. Uh, and just the social aspects as well from everything from not just business, but schools, colleges, universities, just about everything that you can think of. And so I've certainly been on a steep growing curve as we all have. And I'm just reminded of all the impossible decisions that we've had to make, all the impossible choices that have presented uh, before us. And I think to your question about where do we go from here? Well, I think if there's anything that we've learned about this pandemic is that the really the unexpected uh, has become the expected. And I, I think from a public health uh, lens, I think, you know, Dr. McDonald, we're a little bit on a period of time where we're, we're sort of determining, we're sort of in this country, right? We're de- we're deciding at a decision point, a balance point, if you will, about how we think about public health in this country and where it fits into everything else. And I think this goes into um, questioning, you know, the role, the authority of public health. Uh, we certainly have seen many of our colleagues burnt out, leaving the profession, uh, et cetera. So I think the future of public health, I think that we as a society have to decide how uh, How to prioritize public health, where it fits in how much how many, uh, how to resource public health in terms of financial as well as person power uh, but i 'm optimistic I think that this whole pandemic has certainly put a new focus on public health and i 'm glad for this discussion to be happening, and we 'll see where it goes. What are your thoughts
0: you know I agree with you, and I think one of the things I think about the pandemic is it 's been a magnifying glass for so many things, you know some good, some not so good, but one of the things it 's been a magnifying glass I think for is the need for subject matter expertise, not just in public health, but just everywhere. Like the need for legitimate, bona fide subject matter expertise. And one of the things I've just learned over my career is, you know, it's one thing to know a little bit about a lot of things, but sometimes you really need to know a lot about something. Otherwise you don't really know what you're talking about. And I think that just, that that's a bit of an issue right now. I think one of the things I think about the pandemic in particular is it's really just, I think, demonstrated just the power of working together. And it's also illustrated what happens when you don't work together. And and I think it's also illustrated what happens when you work aligned and you're trying to get everybody on the same page. And yet you've also seen what happens when people don't work together. And I think I've seen this more so in our state where people work together. Like one of the things about our state is it's a small enough state where everybody can work together. Like it really is easy for me to get on the phone with people from other state agencies, other community groups, and really just have a conversation and answer questions in real time. And part of that's our population's not that big, part of it's our state's not that big, but quite frankly, part of it is we're real people who just have real conversations. When I look at the future of public health though, I think what's really important for us to understand as a people is we're all incentivized actually to see it succeed. In other words, we're all incentivized to see public health become the dominant form of healthcare in the United States because we have to acknowledge that prevention is really what we need to be focusing on. In other words, we need to look at why is prevention so important? We just simply can't afford to live the way we've been living where we count on people like doctors rescuing us from some of the health choices we've made over our lifetime. And I think this is really gets to those national issues. Like in other words, why is obesity such an issue in the United States is very complicated but needs to be addressed and really does contribute to a lot of diseases. There's other big risks to our general public as well. When I think about the syndemic that we're in, you know, dealing with not just the pandemic, but the opioid crisis, the behavioral health crisis. In other words, I think one of the things we really need to look at is like, how do we depoliticize what's something we should all want to focus on, which is how do we stay healthy? Um, and really it's about everybody being in a position where they can be healthy and set up to succeed. And this gets us back to social determinants of health. And social determinants of health are simply Certain life circumstances that make it more likely for someone to have an advantage over someone else. like in other words, where you go to school definitely influences your health outcome. Where you live definitely influences your health outcome. Where you work influences your health outcomes. In other words, there's other things besides what occurs in a doctor's office that really influences what your overall health and wellness is going to be. Did you have access to health insurance? Were you surrounded by people who could offer you advantages in life, like in other words, did you live in a neighborhood where people actually had ideas to help you and could talk to you? Do you have mentors? Did you have people who actually would, would shape your thoughts in a way that would bring out your gifts as well? This is a couple of things. Anyways, I'm excited about the future of public health. So I think there's a lot going on in the future that really could be quite robust. We're getting to the end of our time together. So I'm going to ask Dr. Chan any closing thoughts as we get close to your final word here.
1: Yeah, thank you, Dr. McDonald. This pandemic has been challenging uh, for all of us in different ways, certainly professionally, uh, certainly personally. You know, I'm just reminded of of all the challenges that we face every day. Not something I often share publicly, but my grandmother passed away, not from COVID, actually. She was in the nursing home, and I remember struggling, you know, this past year to go and visit her because they had the same restrictions, This was in Vermont. Uh, so I just feel like, you know, many of us behind the scenes have had these personal stories that have certainly intersected with the pandemic. And I was also reminded, you know, my 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 kids, you know, in public schools in the town of Lincoln, the last couple of months have gotten like four to five, you know, COVID exposures. Uh, They've been doing tele-teaching, et cetera. So just been really challenging in different ways. But I I do agree with you, Dr. McDonald, just in terms of being optimistic. I'm optimistic about public health. I'm optimistic about the pandemic. Uh, We're certainly, we're on the downtrend uh, as we speak. Uh, I'm optimistic that uh, we have vaccines, we have treatments, and I'm optimistic that we're learning to live with the virus. So I am optimistic. I know it's been challenging for people. I just want to really thank all of Rhode Island to your point about working together, I am really honored and thrilled to live in this state. I do think that Rhode Island generally uh, uh, works well together across different, different sectors, all things considered. Uh, and I just wanna thank everyone listening for both supporting this podcast and supporting the Department of Health.
0: You know, it's been an interesting journey for me, really, from a photographer to a pandemic physician. And it's really one of those things where I think that just can kind of reflect everyone if they think about their own life, is like, you know, when you think about how you got where you are today generally a lot of people helped you get where you are today and a lot of circumstances you know kind of went your way or or didn't um but there's always hope for tomorrow and one of our traditions this is where stephanie likes to cue the music dr chan is we're looking for a final word today what's the final word today from dr chan thank you dr mcdonald and here it is in closing a moment of zen to consider throughout the rest
1: of the week obstacles don't block the path they are the path thank you
0: all and be well I want to thank Stephanie Menders, our executive producer. Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Have a good and keep up the great.